the book of Judges, a dark time in Israel's history, a pattern of failure, failure to follow God's law, failure to train up the next generation, failure to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness. We may be tempted to see the judges as heroes of the faith. However, the only hero of this story is God himself. The people of God chose the pleasures of sin over the promises of God. And the story of Judges is our story as well. In a desperately wicked and fallen world, the book of Judges reveals both the disgrace of sin and the deliverance only God can provide. Well, the book of Judges, I believe, is one of the most disturbing books in the Bible. I mean, sex, violence, rape, and massacre, brutality, and deceit are all vividly described in the 21 chapters of that book. It describes a time where the people of God choose sin over righteousness, and they choose disgrace over deliverance. And although the first 16 chapters are filled with those popular stories of miraculous leaders and God's powerful deliverance, it's really the last final chapters that really seem to capture our attention and theirs. The last five chapters describes what happens to homes, to communities, and to churches where there's no absolute truth, where there's no authority, where there's no presence and submission to the truth of God. It was, those after the, it was after those last five chapters when all hell seemed to be breaking loose in their culture. That's where we saw this reoccurring theme that clearly communicates what went wrong. It's this statement that said, in those days there is no king in Israel and every man did, was what, did what was right in their own eyes. And remember we said we need to make sure that was not a political statement. That was a spiritual statement because God was their king. He was the one who would go before them. He was the one who would protect them. He was the one who was in charge of providing for them. And they rejected him. But at the peak of despair, they once again reached out for a king. They called for a king, but instead of reaching out to their heavenly king, they reached out for an earthly king, a flawed king. I want to remind you last week of what Gary Miller taught, or what the prophet Samuel warned them about. I have it here on the screen. Look at what Samuel said. When they cried out for a king, Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked, him, asked of him a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take male servants, female servants, your best young men, your donkeys, and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day, 
because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you that day. Sam says, the king will not give you what you need. The king will not deliver you from your disgrace. In fact, this earthly king will not save you at all. This earthly king will be known more for taking from you than providing for you. And so it was for hundreds of years. There are some good kings. And there are those times of good kings. God in his compassion and mercy blessed the people. But there's a preponderance of bad kings. Which brought pain, misery. And ultimately it purchased them deportation and judgment. So for more than a thousand years, the people of God would still wait for their king. The prophets would talk about a coming king. The prophets would talk about a Messiah who would come and rescue the people and once again restore them to communion with God. The prophet Zechariah said when that prophet or when that king would come in and ride into Jerusalem on a donkey that they should celebrate. And that's what we commemorate on this day. The day the true king of Israel. After thousands of years, people waited. And Jesus, he fit the bill. I mean, the way he taught, he taught from the scriptures with authority that they had never heard as if he wrote the Bible himself. More than his authority, Jesus had power, miraculous power to calm the craziest storms, to heal the most devastating of diseases. But beyond his authority and his power, he also had amazing compassion and mercy. See, compassion and mercy is rarely seen in people with such authority and power. But Jesus loved to mend the broken. He loved to find the lost. And perhaps his greatest power of all was his ability to forgive sins, to renew life, to restore people to communion with God. And so you got to know when that day when Jesus decided to hop on a young donkey and ride in Jerusalem, The masses went bananas. This is what they were waiting for. If you have your Bibles, will you join me in the Gospel of Luke? Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I'd like to share with you the time that I call the coming of deliverance. Finally, after thousands of years of waiting... For what their hearts, what their lives, what their homes, what their nation needed. This promised king. Here's how it happened. Gospel of Luke, third book of the New Testament. Just go to the beginning of your New Testament and just flip to the right. You'll get there. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 29. Look what it says. When he, meaning Jesus, approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, 
There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord has need of it. By the way, if you see any hummers out there, just take it. Let them know Brian needs it. It'll all work out. Verse 32. To those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them, and they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their coats on the colt and Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which had been seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to, the t- said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Hey, they're, give, they're claiming you to be the King, the Messiah. And Jesus answered, I'll tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Hey, this is so obvious, creation will do it. But then something happened. Right there is upwards of maybe thousands of people celebrating together, putting their coats and palm branches in front of Jesus, claiming as a Messiah as this parade is ramping up, as he heads to the doorway of Jerusalem, the holy city, all of a sudden something happens. Look at verse 41. And when he, meaning Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. All of a sudden, at the peak of this celebration, the parade stops. And Jesus cries. The term wept doesn't mean he teared up a little or had a cracking voice. He full-on cries, bewails. He lost it, not out of joy, but obvious sadness, sorrow, and remorse. And I wonder how long it took for people to recognize. Here's how I picture it. See, see the disciples, they've been following Jesus for three years for this day. Where Jesus would go in and restore Israel. Boot out Rome, reestablish them as God's people. They had endured insults. They had left everything for this man, for this moment, for this day. And they're not only celebrating Jesus, they're celebrating their future positions in his kingdom. I picture Peter, James, and John in front, high fiving people, fists in the air. We made it! Watch this, Rome. Here we come. We're coming for you. And they're walking in in front of Jesus. I wonder how far ahead of them they got before they recognized Jesus had stopped. The text said Jesus wept over Jerusalem because of what he saw. The term saw, he took note of it. He recognized something within it. It's supposed to get us to wonder, what did Jesus see that everyone else missed? As everyone's celebrating this powerful day, Jesus witnesses something that no one else sees. What was it? And is it possible that the people of God today are still missing it? That's the message of this passage.
text goes on and helps us see, helps us witness what Jesus saw that everyone else missed. First thing, look at verse 42. After Jesus saw and started, what, after what he saw and he wept over it, he said this, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, starts weeping. He said, if you had known, a term known to understand, to really get it, to acknowledge reality, well, maybe upwards of a thousand or more people are waving branches and putting out their cloaks and celebrating Jesus as the, as the Messiah. Many had no idea and no desire to know what Jesus was about. He said, if only you had known, if only you had really understood, you get so sidetracked and focused on things in the temporary, of things in your culture, of things in your daily life, man, you're missing it. And missing what? Look what he said. If only you'd known this day the things which make for peace. Man, if only you really understood peace. Man, even now I feel like people talk about peace. World peace. Peace in the Middle East. Peace in Ukraine. Peace in homes, peace in community, peace between churches. I mean, man, we just love to talk about peace. If we understood in the book of Judges, peace doesn't come from political change. Peace doesn't come with finances. Peace doesn't come with power. True peace comes with reconciliation with God. Man, even it's not just us, it's these people here, they get so distracted thinking if only, if only we could claim our kingdom. If only we can put our man in charge. If only I got this raise. If only I got this job. If only I got into that school. If only I could marry that person. If only my kids would do this. If only my daughter would learn that. We get so distracted, oh, I'll be happy. I'll have peace. If I can just have blank. While everyone's celebrating, Jesus looks around as only Jesus can. He looks at the heart of people around him, looks at people within Jerusalem, and he weeps because he sees those who are missing true peace. And I want you to notice something else in the text. Verse 42, he says, Even uh, if you had known in this day, even you... He was talking to Jerusalem, to the city. I mean, that was, that was like the capital of God. That was the place where God's people would all come together to worship. That's where the temple was. I mean, Jesus is saying, man, I get it if other people are missing, but you, you're Jerusalem. You're the people of God. You read the Torah every week. You recite it in your homes. You've prayed for this moment. Even you. People ought to know better. Even you. 
are missing peace. You know, Jesus came and he spoke a lot about peace. When Jesus was born, the angels came and proclaimed peace, right? They said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among men with whom God is pleased. Jesus shared the way to peace when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And look at the promise that Jesus made. Look at this in the Gospel of John. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And not as the world gives. I'm not just some token leader that you can put on a ticket. I don't give peace like the world. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I came to reconcile you with God. He looks over a city filled with religion and empty of peace. I wonder, if Jesus rode into the Chino Valley, what would he see? Would he weep? We're a culture where people are almost drowning in religiosity. Statistics show that most houses have three Bibles. Three Bibles in every home. We have Bibles in hotel rooms. Free. One of the few things you can take from a hotel room and not be charged. Rarely opened. We're a culture that was built on a biblical morality. And yet people are just dying in their and they're just lost in wickedness. It's just so easy to come in on Palm Sunday and celebrate the coming of the Lord, but I, I think there's a call of God that maybe we need to start seeing things as Jesus did. Is there cause to celebrate? Absolutely. But is there also time to weep? I think it is. There are people who have no peace. That takes us to the next point then. We have people who are missing peace and then people who are missing the point. Let's keep reading. See, after Jesus weeps and says why there's people missing peace, look what he says now. Huge, big, biblical butt right there. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. Man, if only you'd known about true peace with God. He says, but now at this moment, as of this time, the truth is hidden from you. The truth is hidden. That true peace of Christ will be concealed and blurred out. You'll be spiritually blind from this point on. You'll know there's something there. You'll wonder, I think I'm missing something, but you won't be able to find it. Jesus recognizes as he goes in not only are people going to miss peace but are going to miss the chance to get peace 
I want to make sure you understand that's not everybody. There is Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He found peace. There is blind Bartimaeus. He found peace. There's a demoniac. He found peace. A number of disciples that were celebrating the coming of the Messiah, they undoubtedly found peace. This wasn't a condemnation on everybody. It was just a concern and a prophetic statement about their unit, about their culture. Jesus says, had you known the opportunity, the true thing that you could celebrate, but now it's going to be hidden, concealed. You're going to be starving. There's going to be something that you hunger for, and you're going to be unable to fill that need. Jesus was weeping, not just because he saw people who were missing peace, people who had then missed the point, missing an opportunity, walking through their life as if blind but still seeing. But still Jesus isn't done describing while he's crying. Saw those missing peace. He saw those missing the point. Then he sees those reaping judgment. Look at verse 43. Not only will you be spiritually blind, verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children with you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Not only are you missing peace, not only are you going to be in a culture that's spiritually blind, there's judgment coming. Historians tell us within 40 years. In fact, in the Greek, Jesus is saying this is already in process. This is already in motion. This judgment of the city of God, the crown jewel of Israel, the city that was set on a hill to be a reflection of the glory around the world. Josephus, a Jewish historian, gave an account of what this looked like when Rome finally conquered Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Listen to what, how Josephus described it. He said this, Most of the slain were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed. They were butchered where they were caught. The heaps of corses, uh, corpses mounted higher and higher around the altar. A stream of blood flowed down the temple steps, and the bodies of those slain at the top slipped to the bottom. Through the roar of the flames, streaming far and wide, the groans of falling victims were heard. Such was the height of the hill and the magnitude of the blazing pile that the entire city seemed to be ablaze. And the noise, nothing more deafening and frightening could be imagined. The temple mount, everywhere enveloped in flames, seemed to be boiling over from its base, yet the blood seemed more abundant than the flames. And the numbers of the slain greater than those of the slayers. The soldiers climbed over heaps of bodies as they chased the fugitives. As everyone's celebrating the triumphal entry of the Messiah, the moment that people prayed for, hoped for, watched for, for a thousand years, 
When the king came, everyone was celebrating, and rightly they should. But right there in the middle, Jesus weeps. He loses it. His heart breaks because of what he saw that no one else noticed. All the people missing peace. All the people who would now have that hidden, who would live in this spiritual hunger with no need to meet the need, no way to meet the need. And third, coming judgment, Jesus saw. He says, Jerusalem, if you'd had only known the opportunity you had. The text finishes this way on why this all needs, needs to happen. Look how he finishes then in verse 44. He says, because all of this is happening because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. He did not recognize, which means they failed to acknowledge. Man, you didn't accept this. You didn't receive this. You wanted something different. You didn't accept it. You didn't receive it into yourself. It says this time of visitation, that term visitation, is the act of God looking into the hearts of man to either bless or judge Jesus isn't saying, you didn't recognize I was on vacation, just happened to come through. No, 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 I came for this very purpose. To gauge your hearts and to bless you or to judge you. That's why Jesus wept. That's why Jesus wept while everyone else Celebrated. Got me to thinking. What do you think Jesus would see in our culture? What do you think Jesus would see in the Chino Valley? What do you think Jesus would see in our churches and our homes? Maybe he'd find people celebrating, and I certainly hope he does. but I believe Jesus would weep once again. Because he would recognize people missing peace. Statistics tell us in our 10-mile radius, 47% of people in our 10-mile radius have no religious involvement whatsoever. Not even counting the Buddhists and Muslims and Mormons. And You add those in, over 50%. More than one out of every two. In a culture where three Bibles, an average of three Bibles exist in every home. More than half are missing peace. I think Jesus would still weep because he would see in a culture that has so much Christian history of people missing the point where they have this hunger for God and, and the inability to find him. Paul says that everyone's without excuse because the attributes of God are seen in creation. There's people walking through. They're trying to fill in the gaps. You ever wonder why people are so quick to believe in aliens? They have to believe in something, like there's something in there's this hunger. 
And they're trying to fill in the gaps the best they can. They're like paleontologists. But spiritually, they find a couple bones and are trying to build this whole animal out of it. Jesus would weep. There's still people missing the point. Even in a culture like the Chino Valley, where God is moving in ways I haven't seen in 20 years while living in this community. Churches are coming together. I have a group text with 11 other pastors praying together, sharing resources, ministering together. Man, that's never happened in my time here. But there's still people missing peace, missing the point, and make no mistake, judgment is coming. Jesus promised that. The will of God is that no man perish. Man, that's his desire. But when he visits again to come to check the hearts of men and women and children, when he looks at their hearts to seek or to bless, what will he find? We're right to celebrate this day. If you have a belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are right to celebrate this day. But please don't miss. Please don't miss what Jesus saw. Because I think that would be something he still sees today. Maybe you're here today, you're like, Brian, I don't have peace with God. Like, I, I've been looking for him. Brian, I'm one of those spiritually blind people. I'm hungry. I've yet to see him. If you want to know more about who Jesus is or you're ready to commit your life to him, in just a moment, we'll have a time of prayer. And the next Sunday, we're going to have a time of baptism at the 9 11 o'clock service where you can come and just declare your faith in new life with Christ. If you're that person ready for peace with God, why not today? But for those of you who say, Brian, I have peace with God. Like I, this is a day I celebrate. Like I recognize who Jesus is and I have received that promise. Each one of you had a card on your seat. I'd be willing to bet it's just pure statistics that each and every one of us knows one person who does not know peace. Who is still spiritually blind, hungry for something that they can't find, and who will be reaping judgment when Jesus returns. Easter message, we're going to be talking about some disciples who are spiritually blind. And then God removed the veil, opened their eyes, and they might see who he is. Our hope and prayer, this Sunday or next, that you will see Jesus for who he is. And that your unsafe friends and family will too. Will you pray with me? Ah, Father, we come before you this morning because we do, we believe in your power. 
God, we believe, many of us are here because we believe in who you are. We're here to celebrate you. And that day you rode in as the Messiah, the purchaser of our salvation. And God, for those people who who have seen you and given their lives to you, God, we are grateful for your mercy and grace allows a group of broken people to come together as friends before you with no shame, with no guilt. And the unity that you've built in our midst. God, I pray for people, maybe even in this room, who have yet to see you as I do. Those people who are still hungry for peace, those people who are looking for peace through politics or finance, power and fame, or family. God, those people who are hungry for something, but they don't know what. God, my prayer for them is that they would see you as I do. God, open their eyes. Allow them to see your truth. And God, as they reach out to you, as they reach out, confess their brokenness before you, their need for you, their need for a new beginning. God, their need for peace. God, even today, there's so many people hungry for peace. God, as those people reach out, I pray you hear them as you promised. God, I pray that you respond as you promised. God, you promised that as we confess our sins, our brokenness, our failures to you, God, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You would scrub us clean. God, you would renew us and that you'd form us into a new creation. No longer defined by the weaknesses of our sin, but defined by the promise and power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, I pray you'd respond as you promised. And those people who have reached out to you for peace with you, God, would you, would you answer them right now? Fill them with your spirit. God, renew them in peace. God, we ask. God, as we come up to Easter, God, may you open all of our eyes so we might see you more clearly. Open our ears that we might hear your voice. God, open our hearts that we might be people that bring you even more glory day by day. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.